Hey, let me welcome you into week number two of this five-week uh, teaching series that we're currently engaged in called Life in the Spirit. And over these five weeks, we're talking about how the Holy Spirit renews and renovates our lives, how the Holy Spirit renews and renovates our lives. Uh, let me begin by doing just a little bit of review for you to take you back to last week as a bridge to get us into what we're going to talk about today. But let me just remind you that last week we spent our time together learning the identity of the Holy Spirit. And this is really, really important. We asked the question last week, who is the Holy Spirit? And we learned together the answer from God's Word. And we discovered that the Holy Spirit is God. A very important thing for us to know. The Holy Spirit is not a force or a power or an energy. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he. The Holy Spirit is God. He is a divine person, the third person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as I've said to you over the years, it's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal, co-eternal. Uh, he is God. And when we think of the Holy Spirit as being God, being a divine person, we know that the Holy Spirit displays all of the attributes of personality, all of the attributes of being a divine person. He has an intellect. The Holy Spirit thinks and speaks and guides and directs. He has a will. He has a desire. The Holy Spirit also demonstrates personhood in the fact that the Bible says that he has emotion. He has feeling. In fact, look at chapter 4 of Ephesians and verse number 30 uh, in our text. We'll read the whole text in a minute. But verse 30 says that we should not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The word grieve means to cause distress or to make sad. Don't cause the Holy Spirit distress. Don't cause the Holy Spirit to be sad. And so he is this divine person who can think and who can direct and who can guide and who feels the Holy Spirit is God. Now, we learned last week that as the third person of the Trinity, as God, the Holy Spirit is active in the world and in the church in many ways. Uh, specifically last week, we noted that it is the work of the Holy Spirit to awaken our hearts. That's one of the activities of the Holy Spirit. He awakens our hearts. Our text last week was in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 16. And it's in that passage where Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will reprove. That was an important word last week. He will reprove the world of sin of righteousness, and of judgment to come. And the word reprove means to convict, uh, to convince. And so we talked last week about that dual work of the Holy Spirit, the, the work of convicting and the work of convincing. Convicting people of their sin and convincing people of the glory of Jesus, of the, of the righteousness of of Christ. And it is this work of conviction and convincing. When the Holy Spirit convicts and convinces a person, it is that work of reproving that draws a man or a woman or boy or girl to faith in Jesus Christ. It is that work of conviction and convincing that causes us to believe the gospel, to have faith in Christ, and to call out to him for salvation and be born again. Now you should know that theologians love to debate the order in which these elements in the process of our conversion occur. These elements of conviction and convincing and faith, receiving faith and, and repentance and, and calling on the Lord and conversion or regeneration. 
Theologians love to talk about, well, does this come first and then that happens? Or does that happen and then this occurs? Are we regenerated so we can have faith and then we call on the Lord? Or do we have faith, we call on the Lord, and then we're regenerated? Um, that, that's not a debate that I'm really interested in having, quite honestly, today or any day. But it's certainly not the point that I want us to think about today. What I do want us to think about as we bridge into what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives now, I want you to think clearly about the work of the Holy Spirit in your conversion. So we talked about conviction and convincing last week, but then what does the Holy Spirit do to to actually convert the soul? So hang with me. You've got your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter number 4. Hold your your finger there. Put a Bible marker there. I want to take you on a little journey. Will you do this with me? It'll only take us a few minutes. I want to walk you through several passages which will show us clearly. uh, These passages will detail for us the work of the Holy Spirit in our conversion. So leave Ephesians 4. We're going to land back here in just a minute. Go over to the book of Titus and look in Titus chapter number 3. Now, you'll find the book of Titus uh, right in front of the book of Hebrews and the little book of Philemon, just after 1st and 2nd Timothy. Look in Titus chapter 3 and listen to verses 4 and 5. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, But after the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared uh, toward man. He's talking about the arrival of of Jesus, the fact that Christ has come, our Savior Christ has come and brought to us the kindness and the love of God. After that, here's what he says. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done. Now, how, how do we come into a relationship with God? Well, Paul says it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but rather, uh, verse number five, but rather according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So what the Bible tells us in Titus chapter number 3 is that conversion involves the work of the Holy Spirit beyond conviction and convincing. He draws me to Christ, but once I come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the one who, according to verse 5, washes me, washes us clean, and then remakes us. That's what the word means in verse number 5 when he says the renewing. He remakes us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that cleanses me when, at the point of conversion and the Holy Spirit which gives me a brand new life. It's rather like a baby, an infant being born in a labor and delivery uh, department when that baby is washed and, 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 and made and ready for life. This is what it means to have a new life experience in Christ. In fact, we call it being born, but not born the first time. It's like being born the first time, but it's being born again, right? This is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he talked about being born of the Spirit. So Titus says that when we come to faith, the Spirit of God washes us new and remakes us into a new person. The Holy Spirit does the work of converting. Now, go back to the Gospel of John. I mentioned Jesus and his reference to being born of the Spirit, being born again by the Spirit of God. John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 3, listen to what verse number 3 says. Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, born again, he cannot enter the kingdom or cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Verse number four, can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, this is not a serious question. It's a sarcastic question, it appears to me. It's a a question of confusion, a genuine lack of understanding. What do you mean? How is it possible to be born again? And Christ explains, verse number five, truly I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, unless he's washed 
and unless the Spirit of God makes him new. Isn't this exactly what Titus said the Spirit of God does? Or what Paul said to Titus, the Spirit of God does. That he washes us and makes us new. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. He goes on in verses 7 and 8 to say the Spirit is like the wind. You feel it, you sense it, you can't see it. That's the way the Spirit is. He's at work. Everyone born of the Spirit is born supernaturally. So, so the book of Titus tells us that the Holy Spirit not only draws us to faith, but the Holy Spirit washes us and remakes us. Affirming what Jesus said, the Holy Spirit washes us and then we are born again at the moment of conversion. Now go from John chapter 3 over to 1 Corinthians and look with me in chapter 12. Hang with me, just follow along, keep turning through your Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse number 13. What happens after the Spirit draws us to Christ and then we believe and He washes us and then makes us new, what does He then do? Well, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free, we have all been made to drink into one Spirit. We have all received of one Spirit. Now, I love the fact that Paul says in verse 13, doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from, doesn't matter how moral you were in your past or how immoral you may have been in your past. It doesn't matter what your heritage is or what your lineage is. It doesn't matter any of the things, no, no matter where we've come from, we all drink of the same spirit. We all take of the same spirit. He convicts us and draws us. He washes us. He remakes us. And then he brings us together. That's what verse 13 says. He baptizes us into Christ. He baptizes us into one body. Paul says something very similar, we won't turn, but something very similar in Romans chapter 6 when he says, don't you know that when you trusted in Christ you were baptized into the death of Jesus? You were immersed into Christ's sacrifice. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, you were immersed into the body, baptized into the body of Christ. So think about this. The Holy Spirit convicted and convinced. He drew you to faith. You called upon Jesus. He then washed you clean. The Holy Spirit made you new. And then he took me, made me new. Took you, made you new. Took someone else, made them new. Brought us all from all of our varying pasts into one unit, one body, the same body, the body of Christ. He baptizes us together into the body of Christ. I am in Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit put me, baptized me, immersed me into Christ. It's what he does at the point of our conversion. Uh, turn back just a couple of pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's something else that he does at the point of our conversion. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 19. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says what? Do you not know that your body, your body, everybody look at your body, right? This, this human body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. So Paul says at the moment of conversion, our bodies become the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one other passage where he says this, we won't take the time to turn, but it's Romans 8 and verse 9. He says, every person who has come to faith in Jesus has the Holy Spirit living within them, dwelling within them. doesn't matter who you are. If you are saved, the Holy Spirit lives within you. If the Holy Spirit doesn't live within you, you have not been saved. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter number 8. So put all of this together now. Are you still with me? Put all of this together. We often think of the Holy Spirit drawing us to faith in Jesus. That's what we learned last week. But the work of conversion itself, not just the pre-conversion, not just the drawing, but the act of being converted, that miraculous event of the new birth, 
is completely the work of the Holy Spirit. Conversion is by definition that moment in time when the Holy Spirit of God, having drawn us to Christ, convicted us of our sin, convinced us of the glories of Jesus, we we receive faith and call out to Christ. In that moment, the Holy Spirit washes us, makes us new, baptizes us into the body, comes to live within us, and will abide with us until we arrive safely in heaven. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our conversion. It's a miraculous work and it all happens instantaneously at the moment that we trust in Jesus. Now it happened for me in April of 1981. I was converted and all of those things happened. And if you had asked me on the night that I became a Christian what happened, I would not have described for you what I just described. I had no idea that all those things had happened. I just knew I was a sinner and needed to be forgiven. But it happened for me on that moment, on that Wednesday night in April of 1981, when the Spirit having drawn me did that work of conversion in my life and took up His residence within me. And so my question is, when did it happen for you? Where did it occur for you? And has it happened for you? Have you been trying to be right with God by doing works of righteousness? Have you been hoping that you're okay in your relationship with God because you're trying to be a good person? Or do you understand that the only way to be converted is to be born again, and the only way to be born again is for the Holy Spirit to do this work of conversion and giving you a new life in Christ? I hope it's happened, and if not, I hope you'll give your life to Jesus today. Well, then what does the Holy Spirit do once he's taken up his residence within us, once that act of conversion, that one-time moment is done and he's with us, what then is his work going forward? We'll turn back to Ephesians. Let's go back to our text and we're going to study in Ephesians chapter number 4. And I want you to write this down. Let's begin by understanding. This is sort of the big idea for today. It is that the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit, then begins this lifelong process of renewing our minds. Once we've been converted, right? So all these things we've talked about have occurred instantaneously. Now I'm born again. The Holy Spirit indwells me. In that moment, he begins a process which will happen all through my life. It is the process of uh, renovating or renewing our minds. Now, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter number 4. I'm going to read beginning in verse number 17. Do you have your Bibles back there now? Will you follow along with me as I read Ephesians chapter 4? Did I say verse 19? I meant verse 17. Ephesians 4 and verse 17. Paul writes, uh, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, That you henceforth, from now on, your life should change once you meet Jesus, once that work of regeneration has occurred, henceforth, that you walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto... Now, the King James uses the word lasciviousness. It's a great uh, King James word. It means sensuality. Having given themselves over to sensuality, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation or your former lifestyle, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And you should be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you would put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. 
Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that is in need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. I want you to do something, if you don't mind, if you have a pen in your hand, and uh, I know that many of you are note takers, and so you're ready to do this. I want you to circle in verse number 17 and in verse number 23 a couple of words. Go back to verse 17. I want you to circle the word at the end of that verse, their mind. You see it? Uh, In the vanity of their mind. Circle that. And then go over to verse number 23 and circle in that verse the last two words, which are your mind. Verse 17, their mind. Verse 23, your mind. Now, in both of those verses, the word mind is the Greek word nous, and it means your mindset. Um, It is the way in which we think or our understanding of life. A more modern word might be um, your worldview. It's the framework through which you understand the world and your place in it. It's simply the way that you think generally. Paul says that there is their mind, their framework, their understanding of the world, and then there is your mind your framework for seeing the world, or the way in which you think. So when he talks about their and yours, who's he talking about? Well, it's pretty clear, isn't it, in verse number 17, that when he says their mind, he's talking about the Gentiles. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth do not walk as the other Gentiles, in the vanity of their mind. He's clearly talking about the nations of the earth. He's talking about the lost world. He's talking about the unsaved person or the the unsaved nations of the world. Their mind. And he's then clearly, when he references your mind, talking about those who have met Jesus. You see this in verse number 20 when he says, but you have not so learned Christ. They think that way. Because they haven't met Jesus, you think a different way because you have met Jesus. That's the the whole point. So there's their mind unsaved, your mind saved. He also mentions this in verses 22 and 24 when he talks about the old man. Do you see it in verse number 22? The old man, which is corrupt. And then in verse number 24, he talks about the new man created in righteousness and in true holiness. So he's he's making plain that there are two ways of thinking. Uh, There are two minds or mindsets that exist. There's the mindset of the world, the lost person, which is corrupt. And there is the mindset of the church or the saved person, uh, which is righteous and is holy. Now, by the way, this is not Paul's explicit point, but it's implied in this passage. He's acknowledging that every single person who comes to faith in Jesus, every single person who comes into the church, comes into the church, they enter the church from the world thinking like the world thinks. That every person who comes to Christ comes into, is baptized into the body of Christ, bringing with them a mindset of the world, a mindset of corruption, a mindset of lostness. But then at that very moment of conversion, God graciously fills them, fills us with the Holy Spirit and begins to change the mind that we brought with us 
into our new experience with Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in changing our minds, renovating or renewing our minds. So let's think first of all about how it is that we used to think. Paul's very clear to tell us how we used to think. Now, before we work through these verses, I just need to warn you and tell you that, uh, that Paul's description of the unsaved mindset is offensive. I mean, it's offensive to our very often too high view of the intellect and the morals and the values of mankind. We often look at mankind and say, wow, we're, we're rather advanced, aren't we? We're rather intellectual, aren't we? We're rather, uh, we have great high values, don't we? Well, that's from our perspective. And I need to tell you that when Paul begins to, to, to break down the mindset of the unsaved person, it's not a pretty picture. So let's, let's work through it. Look at verse 17. He first of all speaks about the mind uh, of the lost person, how that all of us used to live out of the vanity of our mind. Verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. And how do other Gentiles walk? How do they think? They walk in the vanity of their mind. He says, we used to think, before we came to Christ, we used to live out of a mindset that was empty. A mindset that was, that was um, vain or empty uh, in all of its production, all of its ambition, all of its uh, uh, thinking, all of its values and priorities. It was operating out of emptiness and leading to futility. I mean, even uh, what may appear good in the lost world, even when you look at uh, moral men and virtuous women who don't know Christ, even when you look at the best among us in our culture, all of that good and that morality and those virtues exist to the benefit and the glory of man rather than the glory of God. I mean, think about it. Think about the upstanding moral man who is not a follower of Jesus. Think about the, the upstanding citizen, the pillar in the community who benefits his community, who helps the underprivileged, who, who brings about great reforms of some way, who brings great economic benefit, who raises his, his children uh, with uh, great uh, morals and values. Even that person, in all of that goodness, in benefiting man, do nothing for the benefit and the glory and the advancement of the glory of God. And that person, in all of their morality, will die and be lost forever. All of their morals and values in their, in their mind, in their way of thinking through their entire life, will end in eternal damnation. It will end in absolute futility. And think of this. Even their children will then grow up ignorant of Christ and will be lost forever. So even with all of our human goodness and virtue, it is emptiness. It ends in futility. This is the reason that Solomon said, all is vanity. That when I live absent the knowledge of the glory of God, it all under the sun, everything under the sun, turns out to be empty and to be vanity. It's the reason Jesus told us the parable of the of the man who uh, planted a field and great, uh, uh, had a great harvest. And he built bigger barns. He had to tear down his barns and build bigger. And he was able to relax and say, I've been very successful. I've got everything I need. And yet, where did that end? It ended in, you, uh, in futility. Because God said that night your soul will be required of you. And he called him, God called him a fool. 
This is what Paul means when he says that the mindset of the world, the mindset of the unsaved, even with all of our virtue and supposed values, is empty and it leads to futility. He goes on in verse number 18 uh, to tell us that the understanding, the mind, the word understanding and the word mind are, are, are very similar words. It's this way of, of understanding our world and our place in it. He says the understanding is darkened. Before we came to Christ, our mind was darkened. Our understanding was darkened. We could not conceive of God's goodness. We could not conceive of God's glory. We could not conceive of our need for God in our lives. Uh, have you ever said, someone said, hey, didn't you know this? And you said, oh man, I was, I was in the dark. I had no idea. Well, that's what verse number 18 means, that before we come to Christ, our mindset is in the dark. We, we cannot perceive or conceive of God's glory and of his goodness. He goes on in verse number 18 to say, our understanding was darkened, we were alienated from the life of God through the ignorance uh, that is in them because of the blindness of our hearts. He says our hearts prior to coming to Christ were ignorant and blind. Our thinking, our understanding, our soul was ignorant and blind of God and his goodness. We were clueless to the truth of what it meant to have a relationship with God and to walk with him and to know him. Uh, the Bible says to us in 1 Corinthians 2 that the natural man, the unsaved person, uh, cannot receive the things of God for they are spiritually discerned. We were quite literally blind, ignorant, living in the dark, and headed toward and living out of futility. Verse 18 again makes clear we were alienated from the life of God. He says a similar thing in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. So, so get this. This is how we used to think. This is where we all came from. We lived with this, with this blindness in our mind. Our, our thinking was blinded toward God, ignorant of the goodness and glory of God and our need of Him, ignorant of, of God's work in the world. We were living in our own world of ambition and desire and, and, and living out our, our dreams and going about life, all ignorant of who this God was. We were spiritually dead, unable to discern the truth about who he was. And in fact, he, he says in chapter 4, verse number 17, that tragically, this is the condition of the nations of the world. Verse number 17, this is how the Gentiles, all of the nations live. This is the condition of every person absent Christ, every person who's never come to faith in Jesus. And it is the way that we used to think. Now, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 23, verse 7, that as a man thinks, so is he. So we all understand, right, that the way that we think drives our, our actions. The, the mindset we have, the framework through which we view life, determines our behaviors. It sets our values and priorities and determines the way in which we live. So a mindset or an understanding or a way of thinking which is devoid of any divine guidance, any divine direction, any divine perception, is bound to move, uh, to, to be a life marked by sin. And that's exactly what he describes in chapter number four, verses 18 and 19. He talks about the blindness, the ignorance, the darkness, being alienated from the life of God, the emptiness and futility of our minds. He goes on in verse 19 to say this causes us to have hard hearts, to live for sensuality, uh, to work all uncleanness, to live with greediness. In verse number 26, he says it causes us to live with anger. In verse number 28, he says it makes us to be those who steal. In verse 29, we live with uh, corrupt mouths and corrupt communication. Um, he says in verse number 31 that we live with bitterness and with anger and with clamor. He says in verse 32 uh, that uh, we are unforgiving. And so this is the result, right, of the ways in which we think. Now imagine this. Every brand new Christian who comes into the body of Christ, every brand new believer having been convicted and convinced by the Holy Spirit, having been drawn to Christ and given faith, 
having trusted in Christ and been washed and made new, baptized into the body of Christ and possessed with the Holy Spirit, now comes into the church with this worldly mindset and with this past and these habits and practices in their lives that are marked by all of these things of the old life. That's the way we all come in. By the way, this is the reason that ministry ought to be a little bit messy. It really should. Because if, if a lot of people are coming to faith in Jesus, a lot of people are, are being born again in a local church, shouldn't there be a lot of times when the more mature believers in that church are looking at them and going, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> or I can't believe you thought that. Or I can't believe you did that. Because they're, they're, they're new, right? They're still, they're still uh, influenced by that old way of thinking and those old habits. And the Holy Spirit is changing that. But ministry ought to be marked by this process of transformation. So imagine if every believer, every new believer comes into the church with this old mindset and these old habits. Uh, imagine what the church would look like without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? But by His grace, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us the way we are. Amen? By His grace, God indwells us by His Holy Spirit so that He can change the ways in which we think. Now I want you to jot that down. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how the Holy Spirit renovates our thinking. All right? How the Holy Spirit renovates our thinking. And by the way, praise God that when He changes the way that we think, then He changes the way that we behave. Because our behavior follows our thinking, our actions follow our, our understanding, and so He changes our thinking so that He can change our behavior. Sometimes in the church we get that backwards. Somebody comes to Christ, we give them a bunch of rules without understanding that the Holy Spirit has to help them uh, change the way that they see the world. And, and that's uh, why discipleship is so vital. Well, how does the Holy Spirit renovate our thinking? Look at verses 20 down through verse 23. So Paul says, But you have not so learned Christ, if so be that you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Look at verse 23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now notice the words in verses 20, 21, and 23 that are about our minds. Okay, So we're talking about the Holy Spirit changes or renovates our minds. Our minds were dark and empty and, and devoid of any understanding of God before we came to Christ. Now we've come to Jesus and He's going to change our minds. Verse number 20 says, you're learning about Christ. You, you have not so, you didn't learn those things from Christ, you're learning new things from Christ. Verse 21, if so be that you have heard him, you've listened to his instruction, you've been taught the truth. Do you see this? We've heard, we've learned, we've been taught. And then he goes on in verse 23 to say that the Spirit of God be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's another way of saying, and the Spirit of God is renovating, or the Spirit of God is renewing your mind. So this is what the Holy Spirit does. He changes the way that we think. And when He changes the way that we think, then we're able to put off the old man and put on the new man. That's what verses 22 and 24 speak of. He says in verse 22, put off that old man concerning the former life who was corrupt uh, with deceitful lust. Don't live that way anymore. That's the way you used to think and live. Get rid of that. Because God is changing by His Holy Spirit your mind. He's changing your understanding. He's teaching you a new way to think. Now then you should put on, verse 24, the new man which is made after God's image in righteousness and in true holiness. I want you to know something, that when you were born again, you were declared, you were recreated to be this righteous and holy person. And the Holy Spirit is changing your thinking, your understanding, so that you can put on that new man uh, who lives in righteousness and in holiness to the glory of Jesus. So let me... Let me close. We've been talking big picture, right? So the Holy Spirit brings us to Christ. He indwells us. And now He's going to change the way we think from that old dark way to now a new way 
where we live this new life. Let's kind of drill down in the remaining time that we have and think about how does this work of renovating our minds happen or how does the Holy Spirit change the way that we think. Let me give you three things really, really quickly, okay? Uh, Write them down. Number one uh, is to say that the Holy Spirit recreates us in Christ. He recreates us in Christ. I just mentioned this. Let me just mention it again, but I want you to get it written down. Uh, I talked in the uh, the beginning about how the Holy Spirit, Titus tells us this in Titus chapter 3, he remakes us. Jesus in John 3, we're born of the Spirit. We're washed and made clean and made new. Well, what does that new creation look like? Again, I just mentioned this, but look at it in verse number 24. You should put on the new man. There's a new you. Uh, there's a new me living right here. Been, been living there since I was 16 years old. A brand new Jim Dykes, a new me. Everybody say that. There's a new me. Say it. There's a new me. I've been given a new life. And he says in verse number 24 that we can put on the new man and this new you has been created or recreated in, uh, after the image of God in righteousness and in true holiness. So at the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit begins to change your mind by making you new. He makes you after the likeness of Jesus Christ. Righteous and truly holy. That is the new person. Now, let's be clear. The old person is still hanging around, right? I mentioned that the old way of thinking comes with us. He's got to change it. The old lifestyle and habits have to slough off and and die off and we have to put put them off and he's going to give us a new way of living. The Holy Spirit's going to change the way we think, change the way we live, but it begins by making us a brand new person. And that new mind is fresh and it's alive in Christ, and it is ready to be filled with the knowledge of who God is and how we are to live and walk with Him. So our mind, our way of thinking, is brand new at the moment of conversion. That old mind, that old mindset comes with us, but it gives us a brand new mind, a new man, a new way of thinking as, as that old way of thinking goes away. How does He change our minds? He recreates us in Christ. Uh, do you know the verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I think it's verse 17, which says, But if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passing away, and behold, all things are becoming new. That's who you are in Christ, given this new man, this new mind. He recreates us. The second thing that he does then to change the way that we think or to renovate our minds is that he gives us the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us the mind of Christ. Now, once you get that written down, I want you to leave Ephesians and go over to the book of 1 Corinthians. And I want you to meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is a wonderful passage I want to, I want to share with you just briefly. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. And I want to begin in verse number 11. I want you to think about this. That the Spirit of God that indwells every single believer fully knows the mind of God, the will of God, and the Word of God. Now listen to me. Do you ever ever feel like you're seeking God's will? Do you ever feel like you're trying to discern God's ways? Um, Do you ever feel like you're You're digging into God's word, trying to understand God's word. Here's the good news. The spirit of God that lives within you fully understands the mind of God, the will of God, and the word of God. There's no seeking on the part of the Holy Spirit. There's no searching on the part of the Holy Spirit. There's no trying to understand on the part of the Holy Spirit. He fully knows the heart of God. This is what... 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, he asks this question, For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? It's a really simple illustration. He says, who knows what's in the heart of a person other than that person? Nobody does, right? Only the person knows what's true 
within himself. Verse number 11, so it is, or even so, the things of God no man can, can fully know, but the Spirit of God knows. Man, how freeing this is, how incredibly empowering this is. When I, as a follower of Jesus, need my mind, my thinking to align with God's thinking, I want to act out of an understanding that is totally familiar with, totally understanding the way God thinks, the way God views this situation, whatever it is. Well, guess what? Dwelling within me is the Holy Spirit who knows exactly the mind of God on that thing. He says in verse number 12, For we have not received the Spirit of the world, but we have received the Spirit which is of God, so that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 12 that the Spirit of God lives within us to reveal to us what God wants us to know. In fact, he goes on at the end of verse number uh, of this chapter in verse number 16 to say, we have, look at it, underline it, we have the mind of Christ. Now remember, the word mind means the, the, the understanding or the way of thinking or the mindset. We have the mindset of Christ. Think about it. Do you have the mindset of Christ? Do you think like Christ thinks? Has your mind been renovated to no longer think the way you used to think before you came to Christ, but to think in this new way, to think like Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you to give you the mind of Christ. So that as the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you begin to think and view and understand with the mind of Christ. This is that renovation process. The Holy Spirit is with me to help me and guide me, and he will do that, and we'll talk about that. But he is here to change the way that I think the way that I understand my world and my place in it. So how does he change my mind? He makes me new at the point of my conversion. He shapes my life, my thinking after the righteousness and holiness of Christ. And then he indwells me to reveal to me what God wants me to know and to give me the mind of Christ. Now there's one other thing. I want you to jot it down, then we're going to turn to one other passage and we'll be done. It is that he teaches us, the Holy Spirit teaches us to take command of our thoughts. To take command of our thoughts. Now we're talking about the mind, the way we used to think, now the way that we do think now in Christ, how that he has taught us, we've learned of him, he's renovating our mind, and, and we've been given this brand new life, this new man in Christ, this new mind, the old man is there, so the old mind is still there. And sometimes my thoughts rise up against Christ. Sometimes the old way of thinking tends to push in and tends to dominate my mindset. But the Holy Spirit teaches us how to take those thoughts captive and to bring them to, uh, into obedience to Christ. Let me take you over to 2 Corinthians. You're in 1 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to finish right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And look at verses 3, 4, and 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5. He says in that passage, For though we walk in the flesh... Now stop right there. When I came to Christ, I was remade. I was given a brand new life. There's a new Jim Dykes. I've been given a new mind, a new way of thinking, but I still, verse 3 of chapter 10, walk in the flesh. You with me? You still live in the flesh, right? But he says, even though we still live in this old man, we still live in this flesh, we don't do battle, we don't live out of, we don't engage in our spiritual warfare, we don't approach life out of the flesh. We live in the flesh, but we approach life by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in the new life that he's given us. We do not, even though we walk after the flesh, verse 3 says, we do not do battle or war after the flesh. Why? Verse 4. Because the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. The way that we're going to win this battle, the battle of thinking, the battle of behaving, the battle of being, the way that we're going to win it is not by fighting in the old man, but we have spiritual and powerful weapons. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are strong, they are mighty through God to the pulling down or the destroying 
of strongholds. Casting down imaginations. Now, the King James says imaginations. It means casting down thoughts or arguments or ways of thinking that would rise up against the new life. Rise up against the new way of thinking and rise up against the authority of God. Has that ever happened to you? Absolutely it happens to you. Sure it happens to you. It happens to me. That old way of thinking that comes into a relationship, that old way of responding that I used to respond like, that old, those old belief patterns, those patterns of thinking, uh, thoughts filled with fear, and thoughts filled with doubt, and thoughts filled with unforgiveness, and thoughts filled with malice, and anger, and wrath, and sensuality. That old way of thinking rises up, and it engages in warfare against my mind, against the way that I think and live now in Christ. He says, you don't have to think like the old man thinks, and you don't have to battle those old thoughts in your your physical or fleshly or carnal, or old man life. You've been given mighty weapons to pull down those strongholds, casting down thoughts and imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So he says, even though we live in this old flesh, this body, we have the privilege of thinking a new way, living a new way. And when the old thoughts rise up, we've been given some spiritual weapons, some mighty, powerful spiritual weapons. And what are those weapons? The weapons are the indwelling Holy Spirit and the Word of God. By the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, when those thoughts arise, we bring them in subjection to the Lordship of Christ and the authority of His Word. So no longer do I live out of a mindset which is like the nations, like the Gentiles, like the lost people live out of, like I used to live. Now I live out of this new way of thinking. The Holy Spirit giving me the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit making my mind and my life new. And the Holy Spirit giving me the Word of God and His indwelling presence to cast down those thoughts when they rise and bring them into the obedience of Christ. And this is the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit. God, the divine personage of the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, drawing us to Christ, giving us faith to believe, washing us new in the work of regeneration, baptizing us in the whole, into the body of Christ, filling us with himself, and then transforming the way that we think so that he will then, out of a new way of thinking, transform the way that we live. The Holy Spirit not only awakens my soul, but the Holy Spirit renovates my mind. This is what he has done, and this is what he continues to do. And so my prayer for you, dear friend, is that you will learn to live out of this presence and power of the Holy Spirit living within you. And to know that if you know Jesus, he has made you after the pattern, the likeness of Jesus Christ, truly righteous and completely holy and given you a new mind to begin to live out that new life.